no joke. That's real. That's that's fucking real. You like it? Oh, he can play. Sounds good. Sound good? Yeah. Yeah. He can, he can play. Absolutely. I don't know. All I know is I listen. That's good. All right. There you go. something about traveling i love it when i get to go to europe i just love it now i i do miss the u.s whenever i travel i'm a patriot at heart i love my country i miss not being able to get what i want when i want where i want and there's a lot of other things about europe that's very inconvenient especially in certain countries but it is really just it's just fantastic and 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 traveling in rome uh I was there from June 25th to about June 28th before we traveled south near Naples and then we traveled all the way up to Milan and into the Alps and then back to Rome for one glorious final day June 3rd before or July 3rd before we left on July 4th I love it. It's it's great. And I just uh, have a wild imagination. The many, many worlds swirling around my head. And I just imagined the whole time that I was uh, Julius Caesar or, or Augustus Caesar or so- someone like that. Just uh, thinking about the grandeur of this place and how amazing Rome was. Not probably was. I, I'm sorry, I will ignore all the bad human rights violations and all the sexism and all the misogyny and all the all the really awful things that did actually happen there. And you, you, you know, we can't ignore it. We shouldn't ignore it. But once in a while, you can ignore it just to imagine that there's the, another side to the Roman coin. And the other side is in a world where all those bad things that happened in Rome really actually were happening everywhere else. So if all things being equal, all things at a very low, degraded, bad level, uh, can we find some redeeming things in the past? And I think you can. And I think when you look at a city like Rome, forget the empire and the republic before it, just the city itself. Uh, the glory, it, it was glorious. There was glory there. It was, uh, it, it, it could have been, it was, it could have been the apex of human existence at that time. Um, it, it just had everything. It, it just had everything. And uh, it, it even had free food for its citizens for a long time. I mean, it just, uh, it was quite a remarkable thing it, it was a place where a lot of things were invented and a lot of things we even use to this unto this very day uh the influences the law the architecture and and you know they took a lot from the greeks and other other places of their empire uh, 
One of the things I like, too, about the Roman Empire is it was incredibly multicultural. Uh, they did expand the franchise over the over its history to include everybody. It, at the end, it's some of its best emperors were, were not even Italian. Uh, in fact, they, they were saved many times by non-Italian emperors. It's just uh, the more I know about it and then going there... Uh, the the more I admire and respect what what was accomplished a long time ago before electricity and before the industrial revolution, uh, just uh, people humans used to be very clever, very clever. Uh, I don't know what happened, but anyway, I'm digressing. It's M W here. I'm back from the travels. Uh, in the two weeks leading up to the travels, I just got more and more involved in trying to keep my job. And in the two weeks since, I've been more involved in trying to keep my job. So now I'm back at the fun stuff. I have been gaming, though. I did not game for the 15 days I traveled. I did get a game in right before I left. Friday Night Greyhawk. And I played the Monday Night AD&D the week, the Monday before I left. We did not play upon my return on the 4th of July. Um, the, the fireworks that were uh, displayed throughout the country uh, celebrating my heroic return from Rome uh, was well appreciated, but I was way too tired to play that night. But we got right back at it uh, the following Monday. And uh, the following Friday, just July, whatever that was, July 7th or 8th, I was back at Friday night uh, Greyhawk. So... I've been playing, I've been gaming, I've been looking at maps and reading about modules and looking at Dungeon Master Guides and Monster Manuals, I just have not been podcasting. But I did use the last two weeks, I, re I caught up on a bunch of podcasts, because, you know, the whole time I was gone, I, I barely used my phone, which was another, probably makes me view my trip as more amazing than it might really have been, because just really not being on the phone, I, I only use my phone when... We rented Dot Bikes, which is a brand of rental bikes, which I never used before until this trip. Pro tip, use those bikes, especially in places like Rome. You can get a lot of places much quicker, and I won't say cheaply, because the metro actually is still the cheapest play way to travel around a city like Rome, but you, nothing is more efficient than hopping on a Dot, dot D-O-T-T, -T, or I, I don't know what they're called in the U.S. We have a whole bunch of them here, the green ones, the white ones, whatever. You hop on these bikes or the scooters, and you just get all over the city. So we, uh, you know, I, I've been a big critic of these bikes, these rideshare bikes, uh, over the last five years as they proliferate. But, boy, I sure used them. I did use them. They are, I was wrong. They are really fantastic. And the convenience of them is, I mean, I was zipping across, to talk about the convenience of them, my son, uh, and you're going to hear him in this podcast, he got to play his trumpet, he found jazz jams, this whole idea of going off and just playing jazz at a club. It, it's a universal thing, apparently. It happens in America, and it happens in Europe. And when we were in Brussels, I, I worked in Brussels before we went to Italy, he played two different times at a jazz jam in Brussels. And the Sunday night, the first Sunday night we were in Rome, he played, think about how cool this is. My son, 17 years old, he played jazz at a place called Dram on a boat on the Tiber River. I mean, wow. That, that is just amazing. So the last night we were in Rome, 
Josh decided to ditch us. Jazz Reverb. Remember, he's on Instagram. Jazz Reverb. J-A-Z-Z-R-E-V-E-R-B. You, you can find it in the notes. He went right back there. He ditched us. And he said, my last night in Rome, I'm going to the Tiber River, and I'm playing in the Jazz Jam on Sunday night. So I then had to get him. And I did something really incredible Sunday night. I saw a movie on Julius Caesar and got to walk right through the ruins. Uh, oh, my, my goodness. I was in heaven. And uh, and then I text him, like, where are you? You know, are you back at the hotel, which was at the train station? Because the next day we were going to hop on the Da Vinci line straight to the airport. And he's like, no. And it's a midnight now, by the way. No, we're just getting to the jazz jam. And... To relate this all the way back to the rental bikes, I hopped on a scooter and I scooted across town to the Tiber River, videoed him playing for about a minute. Then I went, made my way down to the actual river, got on the boat and retrieved my son and we hopped on scooters and scooted all the way back across town to the, uh, to the uh, train station. And boy, uh, that was just great. It's great. Those those scooters, bikes, whatever you use, are great. And I I am sorry to any company that provides them for my own personal internal lamenting and and anger towards them. They are uh, just a great service, and uh, I'm happy to have used them. So now we're going to get on to my podcast. And the first thing I do is uh, the first segment. It was an unplanned segment, but I listened to. Uh, Nerds RPG Variety Cast earlier this week, and I heard I'm catching up on his episodes, Jason's episodes, and I heard his episode on the contest of sports movies. Name your favorite sports movie. I didn't participate, but it really got me thinking about sports movies. So that's my first segment. And I cheaped out. My second segment today is just a, a session description from uh, Monday Night AD&D. It's a really good session description, though, so I hope you hang in there and hear it. Podcast, I think, is coming in about under 30 minutes, so that's pretty good. So that's it. That's the intro. There's going to be no goodbye. I'm going to say it right now. When you hear the final word of my session description, that's the podcast. So I'm going to say it now so you don't forget, but don't just remember to keep exploring the many worlds in your own mind. With that, I'm out. Boy, there's just so much I could talk about in my first episode back from my travels. And I'm going to tell you what, first of all, if you are in a rut, you are having trouble thinking of a scenario, or you just can't, you just can't relate anymore to the past that we like to bring in to our fantasy games, uh, just go to Rome. I know it's easier said than done for some of you. It just might not be financially feasible. I was lucky to go there uh, as part of a work trip. I went to Brussels for work. So just getting over to Rome from there, you know, my whole flight was paid for. So that was nice. And I went with my sons and I, I made, I'm ashamed, as, no, not really ashamed, but I did ask my older son to pay for his own airfare while I paid for almost everything else because well, the older son's out of college now and has a really great job. And he's, he's two years removed from college. It's not like he just graduated. And and he's in tech. So anyone out there in tech, you can imagine, he's he's making a lot more money at his age than I, I made. So uh, 
I asked him to pay for his flight. So it made the trip feasible. And I'm going to tell you what, just walking uh, around, and it's not the Coliseum. We all, a lot of people just think of the Coliseum. You know, there's just so much more to Rome than the Coliseum. And the Coliseum's nice. It's not that important, actually, in Roman history. It's it's a nice building. It's a good example of awesome uh, Roman architecture. There's an older uh, theater, amphitheater. That's, uh, that was an amphitheater. Uh, the Roman Coliseum is actually an amphitheater. There's an older one, not not too far away, um, near and and a lot of really awesome ruins and examples of how just great Rome was, and it gets you thinking, gets you really got my imagination going. It's a good recharge, and that could be contributing to the fact that I haven't been doing the podcast for the past couple of weeks. I've just been kind of ruminating and thinking a lot about my trip and really wishing I was I was back in Rome. Um, I could have I could have stayed there for another whole month, except it was ungodly hot but so i come back and and while i'm working trying to get back into work my actual job i'm listening and catching up on podcasts and i did not participate in the contest for jason uh, uh the nerds rpg uh variety cast i didn't participate in his uh, I, I don't know if it was his june it sounded to me like it was his june contest because I was gone for half the month of June. I, I was literally gone from June 19th, and I didn't come back till July 4th. So it was a really, that was awesome, by the way. Great trip. I'm, I, you know, if you ever get a chance to leave and do something for that long, and I've been away from the U.S. longer. So um, it really, the trip harked back to my youth in my 20s when I traveled a lot. But uh, I listened to a bunch of his episodes, and there's so much. And I, I'm going to give him some call-ins, and I think I, I gave him a call-in already. And I've called, uh, I gave a couple messages to uh, Confessions of a Wee Timorous uh, Bushy. Uh, but one thing I decided uh, to do, instead of calling in to Jason's cast again, is, is make a, a session or a segment of my podcast about something that uh, originated listening to his and what it is, is his, his contest. And he did a great contest on sports movies. And he got a lot of calls. I, I don't know, 16 calls naming, and almost everyone named more than one movie, that, which was not surprising to me. Well, a little surprising, because I know some of, the, some of the people around the podcast of Osphere, uh, you do like to use the nerdy, and I think it's a deliberate thing, the ner nerdy terminology of sport ball, which is, the, I had to even looked that up. I really wasn't too familiar with that uh, terminology, but I guess that's sort of the nerdy way of referring to sports. And I, I don't, I don't, I just say sports, you know, football's a sport, uh, whatever. So um, a lot of people, I, I am surprised though that so many, I mean, there were a lot of callers who were like, I love sports movies or sport ball movies. So that was great. So I wish I had participated, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, I can't argue with any of the movies mentioned. Um, uh, well, maybe one or two. But the, the fact is, um, it's not surprising that uh, the contest by Jason elicited a wide variety of answers. Sports movies are very popular and have been uh, since the medium of, of film began. And... I think the variety of films mentioned in the contest uh, also is due to the fact that sports movies can be categorized many ways, and many can fit into multiple different sub-genres. There are obvious categories like sport type, 
That's an easy way to divide and dissect the genre. And here you would have the widest plethora of sport movies. Um, you have sport ball, to use the, the nerdy term, versus other kinds of sports, like individualized sports. So you could uh, categorize all your sport ball movies and then have a category of non-sport ball movies or your individual movies. And in the sport ball, obviously, you can break it down. These are just examples, not exhaustive. You'd have your baseball movies, your football movies, your basketball movies, your hockey movies, soccer, et cetera, et cetera, versus those individual uh, sports, which aren't all necessarily individual, and I recognize that as I'm about to say them. But in general, they're individual sports. Martial arts, racing of all sorts, by the way, horse racing, running racing, Boxing, and of course there's teams in auto racing, but that's also individual. Boxing, uh, wrestling, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, that's, that's one great thing about sports films. Right off the bat, you have these two massive buckets of it. You could place the sports into these buckets. Uh, but then you can reshuffle the movies into many other types. And I, this is just my view, I'm not a film student, I'm sure there are film students who have written dissertations on this, so I apologize to them, and I would enjoy reading it, and I'm sure they've done a much better job of, of this analysis. But here's, my, here's MW's analysis. You have the fantasy sport movie. And I think these are most uh, exemplified by movies like Field of Dreams and the Arthurian legend The Natural one of my all-time favorite sports movies. Anyone who loves Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, the movie Excalibur, uh, and any, any number of, of books in the genre should also love The Natural, which, by the way, is a great book, too. Um, so uh, they're basically the same story. And, and there's other, you know, there's other fantasy ones. I would even put the movie Black Stallion into this category. That's kind of a sports movie, and it's a fantasy movie also. So... That's you have your sport as fantasy movie. Then you have movies that are kind of like the business of sports. Uh, and here the sport itself is not uh, may not even be shown in the movie. Uh, or if it is shown, it's really not that important to the movie. Uh, and, and movies like that, I would say, are like Moneyball, Jerry Maguire, Eight Men Out, you know, movies like that. Uh, and then uh, you get the wildly popular in America, particularly the underdog movies. Right? You, you can take a whole bunch of sports movies and throw them into this sub-genre. Underdog. The underdog. Not every sports movie is about underdogs. Okay, but they, they, these are very popular, the ones that are. And, you know, we all know what they are. We got the Rocky Creed franchise. We got Hoosiers. Rudy, Dodgeball, Bad News Bears, Breaking Away, Caddyshack, Miracle, the list, I mean, the list is uh, a exhaust, exhausting, <laughs> really, it, I, I'm not exhausting it, but it, and, uh, you could just go on and on, most of them are in this genre, Americans love the underdog movie, and that's why uh, there's so many of these. I would even say the recent movie about Jackie Robinson that came out, the last, uh, I guess, 42, uh, that's also an underdog movie. So then you have your bioptics, which are uh, or, or uh, movies that are so about a, an individual athlete 
or based on a true uh, event in sports or a true team in sports. And again, I'll name Miracle here. You got 42, The Blind Side, Pride of the Yankees, League of Their Own to a degree, uh, Raging Bull, Ali. There's, there's a ton of them. There's just a ton of them. And Americans love these kind of sports movies too. That's why there are a lot of them. Um, and then you have your sports that are just sort of the backdrop to the movie, like The Killing, which is a, a robbery movie uh, by, I think, Francis Ford Coppola, but it, it revolves around a horse race. Uh, Dodgeball, Stir Crazy, I'm going to throw that in there. Bend It Like Beckham, Victory, and many, many, many others. Many, many others. And there's a sub-genre right there because then you have your sports uh, as the backdrop to comedy. And there you have the Bad News Bears, Major League, Caddyshack. Or as romance, Jerry Maguire, Karate Kid, The Natural, uh, Bull Durham, Rocky and Creed. There's love stories there, believe it or not. So I could go on, and I'm sure uh, listeners, uh, as I said, uh, film studies majors and critics can uh, slice and dice the sports genre in ways I could never even imagine. I, I, I don't want to spend too much more time on this, but uh, someone mentioned A Knight's Tale as a sports movie, and that's very fair. Uh, there are other movies that depict jousting, uh, but not quite as a sport, like Excalibur. And that's a lot of people give credit to Excalibur for having the joust uh, and and the the battle uh, the 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 judgment by uh, trial trial by uh, combat in it, which was part of the reason why they were be, would be jousting. So that's very good. I, I, I do want to mention I didn't participate in the contest, so I will end this segment of my show by naming my favorite sports movie and. From the fantasy genre, it's clearly the natural. I like that one the best. It's clearly because I already mentioned it. Uh, it's not clear to you guys uh, that because of the movie itself. I meant clearly I mentioned it earlier in the segment. It is one of my favorite sports movies, especially from the fantasy subgenre. But my all-time favorite sports movie has increasingly over the years become one that was mentioned twice, I believe two times during... Jason's Contest of Nerds RPG Variety Cast. And it is the 1976 version of the Bad News Bears with Walter Matthau. And uh, and here's why I love that movie. That movie doesn't just age well. There are reasons to like that movie as a child or a teenager. You shouldn't watch it as a child, but as a teen... It's funny, it's irreverent, the kids are cursing, and we all love that when we're teens. Um, but there's a lot to love about that movie when you sit down and watch it in your 40s and 50s, or maybe even older after you've had children, and maybe like I spent time coaching, and I got into youth sports coaching in 2004 or five, starting with football, then I assisted in baseball, and I'm currently coaching basketball. And I really can relate a lot to that movie. There's there's a lot of – it's a very complex movie. At the outset, or, or the most – I mean, the most obvious 
reason that movie exists is to be kind of funny. It's kind of a funny movie. We love it. I mean, Walter Matthau's funny. Uh, the actors, the kids are funny. The scenarios are funny. But you start to peel it back, you peel away the fact that it is partly a comedy. And that's why I don't like the remake, because the remake's really only a comedy, and everything else it tried to accomplish just was bad. Uh, you peel it away, and it's a commentary on life in the 70s, really, uh, which I lived in the 70s for a little bit. Uh, it's also, well, really a little bit, almost my whole, I was born in 71, so I guess I lived through most of the 70s. Um, but then you peel it away, it's a there's a commentary in there on youth sports in general, which which is even more powerful of a message today than it was in the 70s. And it's that of the overhyped, overdriven father-slash-mother coaches who drive the kids and only care about winning. Yeah, peel it away again. Peel back another layer, and there's, there's something to be said about the, the Vince Lombardi quote, winning isn't the only thing. It's, it's uh, not winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. You know, Vince Lombardi uh, renounced that quote later on in his life. He actually really regretted making that quote because there is a lot more to sports than winning. Not not in professional sports. When you're you're paid to play and you're paid at a high level, whether you win or lose, it's it's okay if you lose. I mean, no one can win the champ, and not everyone can win the championship every year. So obviously, almost every professional athlete's going to lose by the end of the season. Only a few will be the winners. But it's not okay to lose. Winning is the only thing. It is the only reason why you're being paid. That's it. You just but but forget that. There there are thousands and thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people who play sports every year and it doesn't matter if they win or lose. It really actually doesn't matter. And these are your kids. There are kids all across America and and around the world who start playing sports at, you know, four, five, six, maybe 10, 11. And you know what? At the end of that movie, The Bad News Bears, when those kids don't even care about the second place trophy, that's, that makes me, that chokes me up. That, that's a glorious moment because that's, that's the purity of sports as a kid or, or a non-professional. It's, it's the coming together of a group of people to do something. And whether you win or lose, it doesn't matter, you know? And the fact Walter Matthau's character got it before the end of the championship game and let them lose that game because he got it. It wasn't that he didn't care anymore. He did it because he ended up really caring. He suddenly realized that he really cared for those kids. And for what was more the most the most important thing, and and that's why I love that movie. That is that is a great sports movie. There's a really great message. So every one of you, I go watch it again and think about it from that perspective. It's it's one of the best sports movies ever made. So with that, I want to just point out that if you want to judge sports movies based on ticket sales and money made at the box office and video and all the other ways to make money, when hands down, the greatest movie ever made was not mentioned. Sports movie. Sports movie. I'm sorry. Greatest sports movie ever made was not mentioned in the contest. 
and it's a movie about chariot racing. Now you might say, what the hell, chariot racing? That's not a sport. Well, the hell it wasn't. You know, the Circus Maximus, I was just in Rome, you know, the Circus Maximus could seat anywhere from 150,000 to some people believe over 250,000 spectators. The Circus Maximus was used continuously for almost a thousand years as the seat of uh, one of the greatest spectator sports in the history of mankind, and that was chariot racing. The Circus Maximus, um, if uh, in existence today in its form during the Roman Empire, the latter years of the Roman Empire, if it existed today, it would be in the top 10 largest sporting venues on the planet right now. So if you don't think chariot racing is a legit sport, then shame on you. And the greatest sports movie ever made in terms of Academy Award nominations, Academy Awards won, ticket sales, and revenue is hands down Ben-Hur. If you don't believe me, look it up yourself. And that's the end of the segment. And now a reading of a session description from Monday night, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. The last time I did a session reading was, I believe, in episode nine. And we talked a little bit about the failed attempt to rob the keep on the borderlands. The party had been led astray by the mysterious Toasty Toes and her gang of bandits. Uh, She was a very attractive elf, so the party was a little, uh, 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 you know, sort of enraptured by her. Maybe that's not the right word, but you know what I mean. And they went along with the heist. Uh, Ironically, it proved to be ironic, Frederick, the lawful good, or maybe he was chaotic good, but I think he was lawful good. I I can't remember now. The lawful good cleric, he, he did not support the idea, and he just simply gazed and watched what the party did from the window of the tavern, that famous inn, which I called, in my version of the Keep on the Borderland, the last friendly beer. Well, the party did get caught, and eventually they were sent on a mission to try to get the money back. The party was sent north, and on their way north, they encountered an elven village. That's where they were sent to, Kota Hutan. And there, the people, the the officials in the keep thought maybe that's where Toasty Toes came from. So the party went, and when they got there, they found uh, a mission. And and the the blue cloak, the captain, Felgar, who was a blue cloak from the keep, he decided that if they did the mission and got the reward, that they could return to the keep heroes, regardless if they found the, uh, you know, the, the wanted elf, Toasty Toes. So he said, let's let's go to Kotahutan and see if we can do this mission or or find Toasty Toes. So when they got there, Toasty Toes, of course, was not there. And so they decided to do the mission, which led us to into the really wonderful module, Rahazia. I'm not going to read. We took many, many sessions for us to finish Rahazia. It's a very complicated uh, module by Tracy Hickman. And it is just uh, fantastic. We we had a blast. We had a blast. And I think three characters did uh, perish in, in the module. So it's a very difficult module, uh, even for a basic. It's a basic module for levels one to three. But it is not easy. Now, 
the party at this point uh, is already into the mission. And I believe they've made their way through a little bit of, of this temple they have to get through. So we're going to pick up where the party is on their way. They, they're, they're making a lot of progress. And it's after this session that things uh, slowed down quite a bit for the party because they became a lot more cautious. And you'll understand why by the end of the session description. The party made its way into the Temple of the Quiet Way. After some exploration, they were attacked by a water weird. The weird had a weird taste for elf and kept going at Noldo. Upon dissipating the creature, a gargoyle decided to munch on someone in the party and attacked the group from the southeast shrine. As the group fought it off, the weird reassembled and grabbed Noldo. Carl, seeing the desperate situation, pulled out his 50-foot rope and started scratching at, out some Euclidean geometry problems. In the meantime, Captain Felgar and his party fought off the gargoyle with Frederick and Drogo, and it seemed like only Drogo's dagger was causing the creature any distress. Drogo then moved to the back of the gargoyle, and with a little help of Felgar and the blue cloaks who kept knocking the gargoyle over, Drogo slayed it all by himself. Frederick then jumped into the pool and beat the weird to death. Carl jumped and tried to help, but when they pulled Noldo out, he was drowned. But Frederick, as always, was able to figure out a way to save the elf, pushing the water from his lungs. Carl caught on and invoked a cough cantrip, which helped a lot. After resting a while back by the gates, the party discovered a lot of loot just randomly laying on the platform in the southeast shrine. They proceeded along the east side of the pool to the steps, finding and stashing more loot in the third shed. Inside, the party turned into the first room to find robes, but, but found coffers full of loot instead. As they lingered in the room, a party of six skeletal warriors started down the hallway. Felgar leapt into the room and said, Priest, do your thing. Frederick, who was the tragic star of the entire session, leapt into the hallway and turned the evil undead. Frederick then suggested they go into the other room Rahazia described, the exit room. The group found a startled and scared elf warrior, Seer Alki. This name is funny because my older son played football with a geek, Greek boy named Alki who was anything but seerish. Well, that's what I put in the session description. Maybe I should have skipped that. The party moved on and discovered a mysterious portal. The party then discovered the main Siswa temple. Immediately upon entering, a black-robed cleric, the Rahib, performed a nifty trick and disappeared. An inscription on the floor indicated that what the party thought was east was actually north. Drogo used his ability to know true north and discovered that the floor marking was correct, causing the group to say, hmm. Drogo then went to the raised part of the room, and, he, and as he wore no robe, he immediately activated the Bone Golem Guard. The group, terrified of the four-armed monster, fled back out the south, or east, or so confusing, doorway. Noldo then had an idea. He went back in and figured out that the golem didn't react to him wearing the robe. 
So he and Alki, also in a robe, searched the platform and found a secret door in the floor past the still, what I mean by still, the unmoving golem. They then got the party and Noldo entered the secret door and then handed Alki his robe and he took it and Alki took it to Drogo. The party then proceeded to the platform with Drogo, but this time the golem was not tricked. It started attacking. Here, Frederick made a tragically heroic decision. He yelled that he would stand and fight the golem and the rest of the party should run to the secret door. The party, however, cravenly ran back out the door to the room itself. As they scrambled, the golem, golem brutally slayed Frederick. Captain Felgar, seeing this, shouted for the elves to help, and he ran back into the room to distract the monster, then fled out the south door. Noldo jumped up and dragged Frederick's lifeless body down the steps underneath the trap door. With no way to save him, Frederick passed on into the arms of his deity, where Gruffup Llewellyn welcomed him. Felgar followed the faint light and found the party. The elves and dead Frederick are up against a locked metal door under the trap door. Noldo no longer has a robe. An evil and formidable bone golem stands between the split-up party. What are they to do next time? So that's that. That was the end of that session. We played that session on July 28th, 2020, almost two years ago to this very day. And we still talk about Frederick. Uh, his player, Sean, who I will be interviewing for my podcast soon, took over the role of Alki, who was a second level cleric, or, or I'm sorry, a second level uh, fighter magic user elf. In, in the module. So he was a built-in character in the module, and we rolled stats and everything, and, and uh, Alki's going pretty strong even to this day, and you'll hear about him more in future session descriptions. Um, it's not all smooth for poor Alki, but he, he in general is having a, a, a very successful uh, gaming in the in the two years, and almost two years he's been player in our game. So I hope you enjoyed that session description. I'm sure I will be sure to throw in more segments in the future trying to catch all, all my everyone in my audience up with what's going on in the Monday night AD&D game. Uh, and pretty soon I'm going to start reading descriptions from the Friday Night Greyhawk because we now have a new author providing those descriptions. And we have we just had this last Friday. I'm, I'm recording this on a Thursday. The last Friday, we had one of the craziest sessions I, I can even imagine. So I look forward to reading it to you sometime. And that is it for a reading from Monday Night AD&D.